Hello and welcome to the Longball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football. In Portugal, you listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, good. Trying to exercise my coffee. <laughs> For those, it's, it's quite funny because as I asked that question, Barney, you was literally rubbing your eyes. <laughs> I've got two coffees in that cup as well. Did two shots. Um, nice. uh, you got me thinking, Albert, because you know I. I I don't think you drink caffeine, do you? But um, I don't know. And I would, I would never drink a Red Bull nowadays. But it reminded me of that story about Jamie Vardy drinking Red Bull for a game. Yeah. Um, I was wondering who in the Portuguese who most likely to have that pre-match routine was it? A couple <laughs> of Red Bull, something else as well. Like it, is it sweets or something? A footballer still living in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perhaps sports nutrition has passed him by. Probably a delta act with uh, the way his waistline was looking at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Should we um should we explain to the listeners why we're talking about coffee? Yeah. <laughs> uh it's 7 a.m. <laughs> We've been up since 6.45. Listen, that's the dedication that me and Barney put into this podcast. It was the only time this week that we could record. So I set my arm for 6.45. I've been awake for 20 minutes. Uh, I think Barney's been awake a bit longer. A little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. But we're gonna persevere because it was an absolutely massive week. Uh, in the Primera Liga, we had the Clasico, the biggest game in the Portuguese football calendar, as well as some other fantastic games. And also with 10 games of the season gone, we're going to be having a proper look at the table as it starts uh, to take shape. But of course, there is only one place that we're going to start. And that is, of course, with the Clasico. It was first place versus second and easily the biggest game of the season so far. Um, at this point, we all know what happened as Benfica ran out 1-0 winners at the drug out with Porto playing three quarters of the game with 10 men. There's a lot to get stuck into here, Barney. So why don't we start with that biggest incident, the red card for Steven Eustachio in the first half, because there's no doubt it was a game-changing moment, but equally, I don't think Steven Eustachio can really have any complaints with the sending off. No, not at all. I mean, it was what I enjoyed watching because we had the BT commentary for this game, which was quite nice. Um, the referee, um, Pinheiro went very early with yellow for Jean Marais, which should have been a yellow on uh, when uh, Galeno seems to have got, got through uh, on the counter-attack. And I was like, oh, I feel like we've seen this before, you know, a game's going to suddenly, the dynamic's going to completely change. And I remember the commentary of Scott Mino and the uh, comms were saying, you know, there, there was a couple of Benfica early yellows, wasn't there? Yeah. And he just, he just said, why, why are they making these challenges in these places of the pitch? You know, it was, it was silly and that was certainly the case for Stachio's first and arguably a second, you know, there was there was no need. And what I really felt was, listening to the um, Breaking the Lines podcast the, the, the before this game was really interesting hearing both sides sort of agreeing that Porto bring a bring an energy to this game, they bring a passion, which, they, you know, you, you, you rarely see. And I felt that that passion did overspill into the game, but it, it ended up affecting Porto rather than what they would hope for, Benfica, Benfica losing their heads. And it was Estacchio who, because let's be real, Porto had looked frightening before yeah. this red card, didn't they? And, and, it, and it did change the game. Yeah, I think that's absolutely spot on because they were definitely on top for the opening minutes of the game. So I think the fans and, and the players are probably right to wonder what if, you know, what if he hadn't been sent off or the other way of looking at it, what if, a Benfica player had been sucked in and, and evened it up pretty soon, which was definitely on the cards. Um, but I think it was really interesting to see the way Roger Smith responded to the situation because obviously, as you mentioned, the accumulation of red cards, of yellow cards, so it would have been something that he was very aware of. And at half time, he made three substitutions at half time. Massive call. He took off Joel Mario, Enzo Fernandez, and Alexandra Barr. All three of those players were on yellow cards it was so clear that his main aim for the whole game after that point was simply maintaining the man advantage and he he made some interesting comments finally I'll just say these some interesting comments after the game his post-match interviews are always really interesting but this one I thought was especially interesting he said at half time we had to change three players because otherwise we would not finish the game with 11 players normally we want to play our football create the best opportunities and play better. But today was completely different. It was just about winning the game, no matter what. And I think there's really interesting comments. And I think it just illustrates the way, the clever way that Roger Smith responded to the game. I'm interested to hear what you think of 
of the way he set up his team from that moment because on the one hand Porto obviously deserve a lot of praise which we'll come on to for the way they played with 10 men they still managed to cause Benfica a lot of problems but on the other I just think he was so smart with his game plan the way he recognised that when Porto went down to 10 men that the way that they were going to win the game was by staying calm not getting sucked into an emotional battle like you were saying the emotions were getting quite high and just understanding that by the law of averages with the man advantage and the quality of the players that they've that they've got if they played conservatively didn't take too many risks the key thing there don't take too many risks and just look to pick Porto off on a counter-attack then you know with Porto forced to commit men forwards there was always going to be opportunities on the counter and they were always going to have the man advantage and there were always going to be opportunities for them to to get goals and that's exactly what happened I would argue that, you know, before that red card, I feel like it was clear that he distilled a, a mentality that was to, to stay calm if possible. Because even with, you know, Jean Mara's yellow card was at six minutes. You could just imagine people rushing around him, but if you saying, oh, it's his first foul, like this is too early. Like, and, but there was none of that, you know, he took it and he just walked off. And and this, and this is going to come over just because it and his coaching stuff, because, you know, how many yellow cards do we see the Porto bench get in the first half? But there was very little of that from Benfica, and 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 that that changed as well because we knew that that, that was going to be the case, and I think that that really helped them because yes, Porto were better at the beginning of the game, but you could, I think you texted me during it, you know, Benfica were getting into it, they were taking their time, and they weren't panicked, they weren't, you know, and it and it ultimately was so important. I think yeah, the three substitutions at halftime was spot, and and I, I think we do need to make a big thing of it because. Like, like you explained there, you know, it did show the tactics that Schmidt was going down. You know, it was it was a lot of focus on keeping things tight, frustrating. Because how many years has it been since they, they've beaten Porter in the league? It was back in 2019 or something like that. So this is, this is a huge result. And perhaps arguably Porter are better when there is a bit of a, a drama than there's a bit of a raucous in the, in the stadium. And and, and they, they, they a lot of players, you could argue, thrive on that. You know, Tavius brings to mind. And... Because I think we've we've both been in agreement that we've we've been lording it up about Benfica and the way the football they've been playing this season, but but it was a sort of an almost humble move from Schmidt to sort of play that bit more reserved, like you say, patience. I, I, I was just on the wing for God's sake, you know that I, on paper I was like, what the fuck? But it, it was intelligent because it just meant that you had a calm player who was good on the ball. We weren't it wasn't relying on players coming inside making that space for Grimaldo. Um, and they just played their game and and, and re- very convincingly as well. Absolutely. I'll, I'll re- just come off the back of a couple of things you said there. We've talked about the cards a lot so far this game. And I think it's worth saying that, um, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time on this podcast this season basically hammering refs for bad performances. Um, I think it's worth saying that. I think the ref had a really good game. Really good game in this, in this game. He was giving out a lot of cards, but he was giving out deserved cards and he was giving out cards fairly, in my opinion, evenly between the teams. And crucially, he was just being consistent. And I mm. think that's what fans want, right? They, they don't mind if you're going to give out yellow cards for for, for yellow card offences, as long as you do it consistently and, and don't miss one out. So I think he did that very well. I think he got all the big calls in the game, right? The the Eustachio, the Eustachio card, red card for me was, was nailed on. I think when you look back at that, mm-hmm. the only thing you're surprised at is that it's not a straight red for the second challenge. Um, and then the only other one, you know, like I said, people were perhaps saying whether Benfica should have had a player with two yellows. I don't see an incident where it happened in the game. So fair play to the ref. He, he got it spot on. And and you were talking about Porto players thriving off the emotion, perhaps. Unfortunately, I do want to talk about the Otavio incident where the video going around where you see Mediterranean push Gonzalo Ramos in the back. And then while... Gonzalo Ramos's back is turned and he's falling forward. You see Otavio essentially attempt to punch him in the back of the head. Uh, an action that wasn't picked up by the ref or VAR, which I found really surprising. You know, a lot of Porto fans on online after the game were kind of complaining that the things that the ref did didn't go their way. But I think when they look back at that video and see that go unpunished, something which, which was not only a red card, but let's be honest, Barney, that's a long-term ban. Right, that's mm. a more than a three-game ban for that kind of incident. When you see that go unpunished, I don't think you have too many complaints. I think that was a real shame, you know. Um, two Portugal national team teammates. I mean, come on, it's, it, that wasn't on. I thought that was a real, a real bad side to the game. I don't want to end on a negative, though, Barney. So I think the last thing I'll say is I, I do just want to re- reiterate 
the kind of overwhelming feeling I had at the end of the game about Porto, which is that they deserve a lot of credit for the way that they played. And I think it was a very brave performance from them, especially in the second half. Yes. I think I think brave is the right word because it takes a lot of courage to to attack in the way that they did in that second half, despite being a man down, knowing that you're leaving yourself very susceptible to the counter-attack, but understanding that that's the only way you're going to get something out of this game is if you score goals. So they were very nearly rewarded. They only lost by one goal uh, and they certainly created chances to score in that second half and caused Benfica, like I said, a lot of problems. They didn't make it comfortable for them at all. But like I said, I think in earlier, I think the reality is just that when you're playing with 10 men against a team of Benfica's quality, when you're forced to attack yourselves and commit men forward, that counter-attack is always going to be a possibility. Uh, and that's exactly what made the difference in the game. But like I said, I, I, my overwhelming feeling at the end of this game was that Porto deserved a lot of credit for the manner that they they went out and still tried to attack the game of 10 men. It's interesting that you mentioned um, Benfica's quality there, because, you know, you, we, we've talked about the three players who came off at half-time. The three players who came on, you brought in Neres, Gilberto and Draxler. You know, yeah. there's three hard-hitting players. And I think a lot of the talk before the game was that Neres was probably fit and could have started. But once again, I think this was a great move from Schmidt about, you know, not starting him, going down that route of frustrating Porto, um, and when he came on, he looked absolutely fantastic. Um, but um, I think the player I wanted to talk about most is Rafa, right? Because I think, I, I can't remember if he got man of the match, but he, he was very, very good, like really good. And also, once again, a, a cool head on those shoulders, like he, he, he did well, but he missed a couple of chances. And and and, and perhaps that, you know, that, that even highlights more how how well the Benfica's game plan was going, that they could easily put in the first half like 2-0 up. You had a chance before the port went down to 10, didn't you? He was really, really good. Yeah, I was I was fuming at my telly. I hit missing those chances. I couldn't believe it. There was a the free header he had uh, in the middle of the goal that I absolutely should have got him. I've got to stop doing this though, Barney. I've got to stop finishing on a negative. Port Benfica <laughs> deserved plenty of credit and he had a good game and he got the, the difference-making goal. So, Congratulations to Benfica, congratulations to Rafa and congratulations to both teams because it was, for the neutral, a great game and I think mm. the Clasico that um, lived up to the hype, definitely. Oh, on a Friday night on English TV as well, that was that's that's good. Beautiful. Well, let's move on to the next game, Barney, and talk about Sporting, who got themselves back on track after what has been a pretty tumultuous few weeks. Disappointing results in the league, disappointing results in Europe. Uh, and you, Ruben Everman has cut a very disappointed figure in recent weeks with a lot of speculation about his future at the club rearing his head. They were looking for a result to boost their confidence and to put an end to the negativity. And that's exactly what they got with a 3-1 win over high-flying Kazapia at home. Not only was it a good win, though, but it was a win in which they came from behind uh, in something of a symbolic overcoming, you could say. Uh, so let's start with that, Barney. How much do you think... Uh, this win and the manner with which they won will make a difference to sporting psychologically because to say they've been in a rut recently would probably be a bit of an understatement. Yeah, completely. And well, obviously, we obviously missed last week, but you know, we, the, the, one of the big parts of that podcast was going to be about Amarin and whether he's still going to be there. You know, there's so many fans coming out calling for him to to go, and then of course, uh, and hotly followed by the rumours of a. Aston Villa being very interested in as well. So they really needed things to turn around. I think maybe I do want to spend a bit of time on, on talking about Amarin now, but because, because of the reaction that he... Uh, to be honest, I was quite surprised with on Twitter, the fact that so many fans that we, we follow and, and, and really respect calling for him to go. Out, uh, to go. I think he's quite a unique coach, isn't he, Albert? Because he seems to be so dependent on one system. And uh, we have seen it makes slight adjustments this season perhaps going with a false nine but but then we haven't seen enough changes in the way they still build up the attack we see a lot of crosses coming in arguably the best performance this season was against Spurs with that false nine and that's because I think that is when they're at their best coming against a Champions League team you know Aaron wants to play quick football on the counter-attack I think that that's his ideal style of play it in the league, I think these they always do it less and less. You know, people people know what he's they want to do, and so he's coming against teams who know how to, to to counter that. And I've been thinking about what what him what he can do. A manager so dependent on the system, what changes can you do? And that, and that's in the team you put out, right? And 
he's recently asked about what he's going to do with the general markets. Uh, he's replied with a simple youth, you know, that to say that, that, that they're not going to buy anyone. And yet we haven't seen players like Asugo, Marta obviously got in this game, Riviera in attack, but we haven't seen enough of that. And that's what he was sort of famed for a couple of seasons ago was, was the development of players. And I just think he's, well, that's why I sort of understand sporting fans' anger this season is that I feel like there has been a, a loyalty to some players. I'm interested to hear your thoughts out because I, I, what I liked was reading Tom Kundar saying about the most important part of this sporting team is the wing-backs, right? And he was talking about how Pedro Porro and Nuno Mendes in that title-winning season was devastating. And and, and the, the drop-down now is you've got an unfit Porro and you've got Nuno Santos. But Albert, I, this game was a prime example. I actually think that's quite a... They're still a very good wing back options. Nuno Santos, in particular, you know, I think I don't know the stats at hand, but I think his his goal and assist output must be surely must be far higher than Nuno Mendes was. So I I, I can't put my finger on what the problem is at this sporting team. I know we're talking about a problem when they've just won three one against Casablanca, <laughs> but do you see what the point I'm trying to make? I, I, Aaron needs to work something out. Hundred percent. No, I agree with that. Hundred percent. I think you're spot on. The problem was that, like you say, he was wedded to one system, and when he was losing the players that were best fit to that system, they were struggling. But what this game showed is exactly what you just mentioned: that when the, those players come back, or when those players are playing well, um, they perform really well. I mean, the two players I picked out to praise were Pedro Porro and Nuno Santos, and I think those players at fullback. I mean, we saw how important fullback was, wingback, sorry, was during their title-winning season. Well. You know, Pedro Porro just makes such a difference on that right-hand side. We're seeing how important it is that he stays fit because it's so clear that there isn't a sporting player in that squad that can replace him when he's out. Look at the issues they had down the right-hand side whenever Edge Guy has been called upon. You know, it's been a real position of contention. And just look how influential Pedro Porro was in this game. He was the main player making things happen. It was his shot that created the first goal for Polino, that all-important goal to get them back in the game after going 1-0 down. And he created many other chances on that right-hand side. I think he's arguably, when he's fit, the most important player in that sporting team, other than perhaps Pedro Gonzalez or Sebastian Coates. And equally on the left-hand side, Nuno Santos, I thought was excellent. Uh, obviously took his goal very well. And how many times has he popped up with important goals for sporting? It came three minutes after the first goal, three minutes after the equaliser that put them ahead and it really built the momentum and got the atmosphere going in the stadium. He's been such an underrated player. Um, he's spoken about his desire to play for, for the Portugal national team. I have to say, I'm, I, I'm not sure whether he's quite at the level yet to unseat some of those wingers that Portugal are likely to call up, but I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility and I'm really pleased to see him be open about his ambitions because I think he's a very talented player and he's got, he's got the opportunity to be uh, as influential a player as some of those names that I mentioned previously have been in previous seasons because the way he performs for this team and the way he performs for that shirt, uh, it really impresses me whenever I see him play, to be honest. I think that's a really good point, Albert, because, you know, with, without Croatia's in this team, without, you know, even Paulinho and, and Mateus Nunes were sort of, you could tell they were fighters for the shirt, right? Without them in, in, in this eleven you need a player like him and, and he's been so so good I think his versatility is obviously another, another factor you know I would, I would I'd even be confident playing him at left back left back of a back four you know I think he's you know despite him being naturally an attacking player I think he'd just work and work and work and look yeah I, I know I've made that sort of rambling point at the beginning about Amarin and that sort of looking at big picture but specific to this game you know we did see him give opportunities to, to young players Marcel in the back line didn't have a good game, but then he brought on Lamber as well, like another youth player. There seemed to be a little shift, you know, taping Trincao off early, getting Paulinho on. You know, that's something we've called for in, in recent games, you know, making those decisions a bit more sooner. Um, and obviously Paulinho came and got his goal and it, it, that really helps. And uh, Sorry, I'm not going to go back to Aaron, but I think, Albert, the, the thing that's his downfall has been his success. He, he set the bar so high for the sporting team. You know, the, the, the sporting fans want to be in a title race every season now because of what he achieved and what he's done with this team. You know, there needs to be, you need to understand the, the, the quality of the squad's at and, and it was sort of out through no fault of his own. And he needs to knuckle down now and work with these players. I'm really glad the Villa move didn't come about, Albert, because I felt that would have been the right time. 
I, I didn't it didn't feel right. I think he's got unfinished business here. And I think there's there's players in this squad who've got unfinished business, you know. Um yeah, it's 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 a good result. And you know, a good result against a great Casapia team who have been doing so well recently. Yeah, I felt I was excited to see the sort of tactical battle between Amaran and Felipe Martins, you know, both playing slightly similar systems with a back three and 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 wing backs and <sighs> For Amarin to sort of change the game at half time, he deserves a lot of credit, yeah. Absolutely. Big game coming up against Spurs in the Champions League this week, I think. You know, not necessarily they have to go and get a win, but just important for them after two Champions League games on the bounce where they've kind of capitulated uh, and the game's been written off in the first half. Just important for them to have a good game and put on a good performance. Um, of course, we do have to give credit to Kazapir Barney, who put on uh, a really impressive display in the first half to go 1-0 up executed their game plan very well. It's very interesting, you know, we talk about Amarin wanting to be a manager who can uh, pick teams off on a counter-attack, right? Well, that's exactly what Kazapir did to them and it's exactly what we've seen other teams do to sporting in the league. Um, they, like I said, one new in the first half and actually had one or two other good chances to score as well in the first half, particularly from Clayton up front who, who did very well in this game. But of course, we're well beaten in the second half. Uh, when they conceded three goals. Their, cast, their captain, Vasco Fernandez did an interview after the game, which was doing the rounds on Twitter. He gave a very sportsmanlike and humble interview where he was asked whether Sporting would deserve the winners of the game. He sort of responded by saying, without a doubt, spoke very eloquently about the game. And I think we can all agree with him that Sporting were deserved winners, but also that Kazapir gave them gave a good show of themselves in this game, particularly in the first half, as they have done all season. I, I wanted to talk about Clayton Albert because I think I'm just going to plug the the piece I wrote for Portugal and the, the, the Casapia article because you know re- researching that and and you know Rafael Martins was the player brought in to bleed that line for them in, in in the summer right and Clayton's now worked his way into the team it's, it's three goals in five games he looks quite exciting you know only 23 years old he's, he's got a bit more power and pace behind him than Rafael Martins think, uh, has I think. And I think he certainly compliments Kunimoto and Godwin in that attack. And I think he's a, he's a, he's a striker to keep an eye on. I think he's going to get more and more goals now. I think he's really hitting his stride. Nice to see Savo Godwin as well get the assist in this game. I think the thing I've been interested with Casapiro Albert is the balance in their midfield, right? Because particularly for a big game like this, you know, and they've gone with um, the experienced Tyro, who's, who's, who's generally been very good at defensive mid. And they've paired him with Romario Barrow, who in this system, you know, there's, there's a lot asked of these midfielders. They've got to work hard. They've got to press quickly when they lose the ball. They've also got to help out defensively. I thought Barrow had an all right game, to be honest. But I think that that balance midfield is is. I don't think they're the best two to play that system. I I I, I, I can't suggest anyone else. But I think from their skill sets, from what I've seen this season, I think that, that that's an area that they might need to, to balance out, particularly for these games against a big club if they do have ambitions of finishing high up the table. I did think Romario Barrow had a good game actually. I think he did his role well, but I agree. I think. He'd perhaps be better in a three in midfield where he's got two other teammates to support him because his game is really getting forward up the pitch. So when he's playing in a two, it does leave them a little bit a little bit vulnerable. But on the whole, I think, you know, very positive about Kazapia. This time they just came up against a team of real quality, as they will at times in this league. But their league position speaks for itself and the start to the season they've had speaks for itself. And I think the way that they play football will see plenty more good results if they play this way against half a dozen teams in this league they'll do very well and get very good results um, lastly of the big clubs Barney let's look at Braga who got over a potentially tricky hurdle this weekend by beating Estoril 2-0 away from home they made everything look pretty comfortable pretty routine it was goals from Almazrati and Vitinha who got them the win and I think it's fair to say that the goal from Vitinha was definitely the highlight of this game probably goal of the week for me and after this game we were both texting about Bettina so I think we want to talk about just how important he is to this Braga team I'll let you kick off but just to read out some stats to illustrate the point in eight appearances this season he's got six goals two assists that's eight goal contributions in eight games so for a young kid it's really not bad at all no it's really good and uh, the thing I was talking to you about in the week I was how much I put on Simon Banza early on in the season if I'd thought about it a little bit more, and, and uh, obviously I've got I've got the goals now to sort of back this this train of thought up that Vitinha was always going to be the the more important of the two because I think in Vitinha we're seeing a a kid who is consistent and 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 
will always, always work, always fight. And it's all sort of starting to click for him. You know, despite his goal drought earlier in the season when Bands were sort of getting the limelight, he, he's now kicking on. And this goal, I think, is a prime example. You know, he's able to conjure that up. I think Bands can sometimes rely on being assisted. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, he, yeah. he, he's the one getting the last touch, whereas Vettina can create, he can make a goal. Like this one is, I feel like we've seen this one before. I can't think of exactly when, it, uh, where, <laughs> when, but you know, it seems like a classic. You know, we're talking about a classic Vitinha goal, and like, how old is he? How long has he been playing in the first team? It's this unbelievable and good for Master George to sort of start that front two of Avalaris and Vitinha. You know, he has those options now, and and some people it might have thought Banzer should always be getting a start because he, what he, he can potentially offer, but you know, Vitinha. You know, to, to talk to the, the national team, for God's sake. Absolutely. It was a big call to, to not start Banzer, but I think it, it, it paid off. I think Abel Ruiz as well did well in his work, particularly off the ball, often goes unnoticed. A wonderful goal, just to reiterate, outside of the box, curls one from the left-hand side into the top right corner. Really worth going and looking at highlights if you haven't seen it already because it's an excellent goal. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to compare him to, to Simon Banzer because they almost had a similar trajectory because Vitinha was another one where when he first broke onto the scene, he was scoring goals in patches. You know, he got something like three goals in his first start, didn't he? And then he got another four goals in one game later down the line. So he was getting goals sort of in, in patches rather than consistently. But um, yeah, that, that goal tally and, and goal contribution tally that he's built up this season has been uh, it's been very impressive. And uh, this is a question I texted you that I think you bottled answering. So I'll maybe put it out to our listeners, which was uh, Banz is 26 years old. Martini is 22. Of the two players, who will go on to be the better footballer? That's a very interesting question. One that I'm not sure. I, one that I'm not sure I know the answer. To. I feel like Vitinha. Yeah. I think the, the improvement we've seen from this guy in the last year it, it sort of it implies to me that he's going to just get better and better and better. I think Banz is a starter striker that we've seen have success in this league a few for quite a while. You know, sort of a tall athletic striker who, who's, who's good at getting found in the box. I, I don't know what evidence I've got to back this up, but I always feel like those sort of strikers do well. Whereas I think mm. a player like Vitinho is that bit more different. Um, he's so good on the ball. He's, he's, the way he presses and, and his work rate is, is, I think that's quite rare. So I think he's going to be a, a more of an in-demand striker going forward and and, and, and will succeed in Europe. Whereas I can see Banz is sort of having a very good career in Portugal, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, Oh, but I also wanted to credit the other goal scorer, Al Mizrati, who, who uh, you know, I guess his storyline this season has been a, a real slow start, a real disappointment, but now he's really starting to, to get get back to the player that we know he can be. Um, playing alongside the experienced Castro in midfield, you know, we, we're used to seeing him play with um, Andre Horta, who, who uh, of of the two, of him and Al Mizrati, he's the more creative, the more attacking player, I'd say. But so... You know that that responsibility certainly fell on Mizrati in this game, and and with playing on like Castro. So, and and he certainly delivered that. I think I I I still think back about you know that that picture in the summer of him in London, thinking he was moving to a Premier League team. Surely he must have been in London for that sort of reason, trying to sort of sound out a move. I I think, and I think that's a lot for a player for that to <laughs> to, to not happen. I think that could have easily knocked him back, and and, and perhaps that's what we saw at the beginning of the season. But now you know he's realizing he's got. A, I'm sorry, I completely make up a, a, a story out of nothing. <laughs> you think he's pulled a Peter Modawingi flown over to London to try and force the move? So no, but London I, uh... is one of the premier holiday destinations for tourists. <laughs> it could be completely innocuous. Yeah. No, I, I, I sorry, I, I, I am making stuff up. But for me, it makes sense in my head that why well, he had that sort of dip at the beginning of the season, perhaps disappointed, and now he's coming, you know, knocking down again, and I'm a seeing a better player. No, no, I think I think that is that is a great point, which is I think what happened. I think we saw similar things happen to other players like Hayley Massamarita, for example, in his second season at Santa Clara. I think that was a comparable case where everyone expected him to get a move. It didn't happen, and then he didn't quite hit the heights that we expected. But he's now reaping the benefits of sporting. I think putting good performances. I thought Mizrati was in danger of going the same way, especially when they signed. Is it Rasic? The defensive midfielder they almost signed you know it was the first time we had real competition and Rasic was performing well so I wondered whether he was going to get back into the team but then I think it's a credit to his uh his mentality then that he's responded well to the new signing responded well to the fact that he hasn't moved um and is again making himself a key player at Braga I don't think he should turn his nose up 
at being a key player at Braga. You know, we know he's got great ability, but if he was to play the majority of, you know, the best part of his career at Braga and play in the Europa League every year and compete at the top end of the Portuguese football table, I don't think that would be a bad career for a player of Ali Abbas level. So I think it's good to see him knuckling down. And I think it's definitely uh, a positive for both him and for Braga. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Estrel because I think what was clear in this game, well, one, Grave wasn't in the team. I, I think he might be injured, but um, there's, there's, there's striking options. I just had to double check because I, I couldn't actually name a striker. For that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, they had a, a reason starting um, a young Brazilian striker who's got a few games now. They've also got um, a player on the Juventus, Andre Marquez, who I, once again, I can't remember who started. Jean Carlos, I've never heard or seen, and, and Ben Chimol, a, a young player from their B team. It surprised me because I thought they had I had better they had better strikers options and, and and I think what what that shows me is that you know they've got great midfield options I thought at least um, James Lewis Siliki did well at sort of fitting in on that right hand side with Graeber obviously Chico Gerardo Carvalho as well was a great signing for them from Olympiacos some a, a good attack midfielder but you know I, we we were actually recording about them earlier in the season when they were hitting form but I think. This game sort of highlights their their weaknesses in the squad and what's going to potentially hold them back. They scored eleven goals this season, Barney. They're equal with the likes of Chavez. They've scored less goals than Aruca. They've scored less goals than Rio Ave. So yeah, I think you're right to highlight that as an area of weakness. And they were relying on youngsters like Gavea to chip in with goals. On the whole, I think they've got a good squad and they've got a good manager. So obviously, I'm not worried about them at all this season. But like you, I just do have that feeling that there's just that piece missing, and if if they just had that one extra player, maybe they could really push on uh, and achieve something something better than what they're achieving this season. Well, finally, then, Barney, let's do one more game because there wasn't just one Classico on this weekend, uh, although maybe Classico is pushing it a little bit, but there was a sort of local derby as Vittoria played Bovista in one of the best games of the week. Vittoria won 3-2 in the end, but not before going 2-1 behind to 10-man Boa Vista and relying on goals in the 87th and 93rd minutes to complete a brilliant comeback in what was a highly entertaining game. And it was great to see a game like this explode into life and provide us with a really great spectacle. Yeah, I mean, wow, what a game. Um, there's so many talking points to me out, but I think, uh, once again, I think that, you know, a red card has, has changed the game. Um, Ricardo Mangas in this instance getting red sent off for Benfica just before half time. Um, a player I'm really interested in Albert, because you know I thought he was excellent here two seasons ago. He went to Bordeaux last season. They got relegated and he's back. And I don't know. I think he's got. A, I think he's got big shoes to fill now uh, after Hamash sort of filled filled in a, in his absence last year. And yeah, this this really didn't help Ovista because you know. Great things to get back in the game after going down to that penalty. And we just, I just felt like there was a real, similar to the Porto um, Benfica game, there was, a, there was a real game on our hands here. But, you know, it, it didn't do themselves any favours with that red. Well, it was interesting because I think ultimately, Bovista will feel pretty gutted to walk a game or walk away from the game with nothing. Despite being a man down for most of it, they were the better team for large parts of the game, I thought. Absolutely deserved to go 2 1 up. I have to say, though, Barney, I've said it so many times, the Vittoria defending just annoyed me. The way that it was shocking for that se- for that second goal for for Bovista particularly, uh, which Salvador Agra ends up finishing. Defending in the build-up to that goal is so poor. Uh, ultimately, Vittoria made things much more difficult for themselves than they needed to. But Bovista will be very disappointed, despite being 10 men down, away from home, not to get anything at all out of the game. They held on for 87 minutes, but just couldn't get the result over the line. I think it was actually two teams pretty evenly matched going up against each other, um, which is what I liked. But credit to Vittorio for getting the result over the line. What a wonderful goal from Nicolas Jean-Pierre Barney. He's a funny little player, isn't he? Because he's been at Vittorio a few years now, never been used an awful lot, but definitely has this type of goal in his locker. I feel like we've spoken about good goals from him before in the past. Long-range shooting and long-range passing always impressed me for Nicolas Jean-Bier. Um, I'm, I'm sure not everyone has seen the highlights of this game, so do go back and watch them just for the drama and also for that goal from Jean-Bier uh, because it's an excellent finish. But <laughs> like you said, funny old game. Bovista, in my opinion, 
unlucky not to get something out of the game. But in the end, I wasn't surprised that Vittoria managed to get the win because with the 10-man advantage is what you really expect. I just, I just wanted to talk about Jonga a bit more because he's such an interesting... I, you know, I'm interested that they kept him but I haven't used him that much because I agree he's got some, some real quality and I think in that midfield now, the way they're playing 3-4-3, it's, it's going to be hard for him to get in because I think, you know, that they, they want a bit more balance. They can't really sort of... I mean, Andre Andre sort of made a sort of a name for himself in getting back into that team. Um, and Silva's been excellent, you know, I think taken some good set pieces for them, got obviously got the penalty in this game. And yeah, I think what I think what Moreno did in this game, Albert, is he I think he did try to capitalize on the red card. And I think he did shift the systems a couple of times, you know, Lemira sort of coming on um for the free to left wing back sort of changed the system a bit. But it did ultimately pay off. I think in the, talking about the defence, you know, saying how disappointed you were in their defence, I think interesting to see interesting Bamba have a, a bad game. It's the first time this season we've seen that happen. But I think that's sort of, I think the point I'm trying to make is that I think it came with Moreno changing things and trying to move the squad around. I think, you know, perhaps players didn't know where they were supposed to be. I, I want to talk about Mick, uh, Mickey Johnson now, but the, the, the Scottish ring on loan from Celtic, because I think he's, he got he got um he had a great game in the cup didn't he did he get a goal and an assist or got two like goals two goals and assist yeah and I, I nice for him to get a start I think he did all right in this game he obviously didn't come away with anything but I think I think we could see a, we're going to see a lot more of him now because he he's looked he's looked really good and you know that, keeping sort of Lemires and uh, Jotto though I'm not sure if Jotto's out with injury out of the team it will be hard but I think he's he's now he's got his opportunity I think he seems to be taking. There was a lot of praise for him after the game on social media from the Victoria fans. And particularly, I think they were pleased with the kind of passion that he showed for the team. You know, when they scored, he was visibly, you know, visibly emotional and and, and uh, passionate about the result. I think that's, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a horrible cliche, but I think when you sign a Scottish player from the Scottish League, that's what you're going to get because that kind of attitude is, is ingrained into the players from a young age. So I pretty good things for him. I think he's, he's at a good club to to thrive. It looks like his mentality matches that of the Victoria fans, you know, being a passionate player in front of a passionate fan base. I think that will pay off. Mm. Um, it's obviously been a bit of a slow start, but, you know, there's going to be an adaption, adaption period for a player like Michael Johnston, who's a foreign player coming to the league and is going to need a little bit of time to settle in. But as you say, two good games in a row, absolutely criminal, the yellow card he was given for handball. Absolute shocker the ref had there. Didn't deserve that, but he didn't let that hold him back. And it was a good performance. And you know, we always we always look out for the British players in the league. So we'll be we'll be we'll be pleased to to keep an eye on him and and I predict good things because it looks like a good fit for the player in the club. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, as mentioned at the top of the show, with 10 games gone of the season, and with that old cliche looming over our heads of with 10 games gone, you can finally get a good look at how the table is shaping up. We're going to do exactly that and have a look at the table from top to bottom and assess how all these teams are doing so far, Barney. So let's start with the top five teams, the European places, of course, Benfica sitting at the top of the table. That result against Porto was not insignificant because it means they get a six-point cushion in first place. The alternative, if Porto won, was that Porto would have gone top of the table uh, with head-to-head results against Benfica. So that was a really significant result. But very interesting to compare Benfica and Porto, despite the six points difference, to quite similar stats. Uh, Benfica with a goal difference of 19, Porto with a goal difference of 15, uh, Benfica with 24 goals scored, Porto with 22 goals scored, Benfica with five conceded, and Porto with seven conceded. Of course, the big stat that makes a difference is that six points and the two losses that Porto have got on the table but phenomenal start to Benfica well documented Porto and Braga on the same points Braga with a slightly better goal difference of one better goal difference and four goals scored so let's compare those two teams Barney Braga and Porto because Porto a team that had their moments earlier in the season obviously losing to Rio Ave there was a bit of turmoil but that position of the table what do you make of it because I think it's looking much better than it could have done with some of the uh, performances they'd put in earlier in the season. Well, yeah, I think, you know, the, the sort of narrative around Porto re- built in the build-up to this game was that they were um, 
you know, the team team back at back at back at their best, right? And and then whereas the narrative for Braga was that, you know, they've blown their chance of having being in a title race. But you know, I it's it's not insignificant that they're on the same points and and you know, just two wins off a or well, six points off, off off catching Benfica. You know, this is certainly in my mind and, and sort of naively, so I had written off Braga, but I think that you know that we shouldn't forget I, I, equally is like I think Porto will, will, will definitely fight, uh, come back. I think perhaps the most interesting thing is, you know, it's, it's something we've talked about with Braga previously is whether they can keep that mentality of, you know, dis- disrupting the big three because they are, is just three points of our sporting. And I think once again, sporting have done well to get themselves back up to, in, into that position of the table. That's the interesting thing for me now is, is, is make, seeing if Braga can keep, keep their spot up in that, those top three spots of the table. Well, Sporting is a really interesting one, isn't it, Barney? They're in fourth place now. It wasn't long ago that we were talking about them in, in seventh place and a really long way off the European spots. 19 points for Sporting, nine points off the leaders. Obviously, we're now assuming that that title race is, is beyond their ambitions, but only three points off the Champions League. So I said it since, you know, the first few games in the season where they were dropping points. Their aim just has to be the Champions League. You know, they've really got to aim to get in that top three. Encouraging for them now to get good wins against Casapia and get that three-point cushion closed with Braga. So really possible for them to finish the Champions League now. That has to be their aim uh, for this season, and it's definitely achievable. But of course, the team we've got to talk about, Barney's fifth place, Casapia, 17 points. Um, they've been the team of the season so far to follow, and and that fifth place uh, position is, is a real reward for a team that have played fantastically well. Only two points behind Sporting and only five points off the uh, Champions League places. Well, the 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 thing is for them now is that there's two losses in a row, right? Yeah, and it's how they deal with that. Um, it was a uh, captain. Is it Vas- Vasco Fernandez was mm-hmm. obviously clearly disappointed in the post match with um, the, the loss against Sporting, and uh, you know it's going to be important how they how they they deal with that and mentally come back and, and try and bounce back because you know on equal points with Toyota Grimash, our team seemed to be. Of a tiny little blip, I think you know two, a loss in two draws in four games, mm-hmm. two wins in the bounce. Now, the reverse of Casapia, that you know they, they're they're looking like a, a team that, uh, particularly with the use of players, you know there's been a lot of changes to that starting eleven. But Vitoria Gramash has, has certainly coming into a, you know they're, they're seeming stronger, and I feel like I feel more confidence in their squad. Mm. Seventeen points, as you say, Vitoria are on equal points with Casapia in fifth place, so they will be gunning for that European spot that they've missed out on for the last couple of seasons. Um, Boavista in seventh place, Portimonense in eighth place, Estoril in ninth, and Chavez in tenth. That feels like a little group, doesn't it, Barney? That feels like a group of teams kind of in a similar similar situation in the league, had some good wins, had some good results. Uh, let's start with Chavez in tenth, because they're in 15th place, only two points off the European positions. And I think they've been overshadowed somewhat by Casapia, uh, who've been the kind of newly promoted team getting all the headlines but only two points behind, got a great win at the weekend, 3-1, they beat Gilles Vicente. Uh, and I think they deserve a lot of praise for the season. They're having obviously got that famous win against Sporting in the Alvalade. Plenty to cheer about this season. Um, but they haven't had as many headlines as, as teams like Casapia have. No, and I think they've been, done exceptionally well. And and a team just, just looks so comfortable in this league. Um, I, for me, Albert, it's, it's the man we always talk about um, when when we talk about Chavez, is Jao Tachéria, who's just... I think he's up there for sort of goal contributions in in the league, and and um, it's just been so important to them. You know, they I don't think they have anyone else who's real standout. I think I'm I'm really hoping Luther Singh can sort of get back in the get in the team and 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 have the season he's had in the past. But I think in terms of you know, I think they've they're well set up. They've got a good defensive line, but Shalta Sherry is the man who's sort of really helping them look like a a, a proper decent team. Absolutely. Um, and of course, both Vist have done well this season. They're on 16 points. Portman ends on 15 points. They lost last night to Rio Ave with a, with a man sent off early in the game. Good points tallies for both of those teams. Although for me, Barney, I, I, I do worry about their consistency, both losing at the weekend, both dropping points recently. Yeah. I, well, it remains to see whether they have the squad depth to really kind of sustain that good form that they've seen uh, at the beginning of the season. But, um, we'll have to see over the next few games before the World Cup break uh, how they get on. Well, let's look a little bit further down. Aruka in 11th place. 
It's good for them, 13 points. Uh, above Rio Ave on 12 and Vizela on 11 points. Decent for those teams to be out, away, out of the relegation battle, I think. Well, particularly, but I think my my thoughts on Rio Ave have been that they've, they've looked good. They've, they've been a successful team, I think, we've yeah. yet Aruka are a point above them. And I think the thing with Aruka is, you know, they're not losing games, right? They've got four draws this season, which is the most in the league. But I think that's going to be invaluable to them in sort of keeping them up in the sort of mid-table region. I've I've been really impressed with Rook. I think there's there's a solidity in this season that we haven't seen last year. That and and, and with Rio Ave, I think you know, it's their goals in it that that's what's sort of getting them points at the moment. I mean, for all of those teams, the simple fact is that. Uh, they're nine, ten, and eleven points above automatic relegation spots, so yeah. that will do absolutely nicely. Well, let's look right down near the bottom. Then Barney, Family Cow on ten points in fourteenth, Gilles Vicent on nine points in fifteenth, and Santa Clara on eight points in sixteenth. That's the relegation playoff spot. Three teams who've had very disappointing start to the season. It's funny because those are three teams that, if you'd asked me before the season started, I would have predicted them to be closer to the European spots than to the relegation battle. Yeah, yeah, completely. I think, I think Family Cow with their win at the weekend against um, Passa de Ferreira, huge result, and I think massive two wins think, in a row for them now. Yeah, I think they're 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 a team on the up. Jules Vicent, I I I'm actually the most worried about Albert. I think it's not work. Doesn't things don't seem to be working there? I think once again a red card in their game this weekend sort of sort of didn't help them at all. Um, Andre, Andrew Marin as well, the player we had high hopes for coming back to Portugal, uh, Spanish left back. But um, no, I think I'm I'm worried about them. I think Santa Clara potentially are, are finding their way uh, once again, a, a great result for them beating Vizela. We're, we're about to talk about them now, but, aren't we? But I, I really feel like the, the, the two relegation spots could potentially be nailed on now. And it, it will be about that playoff, relegation playoff spot. Well, let's talk about that now then. Pastor Ferreira on two points and 17 for Maritimo on two points in 18th. Dreadful, dreadful starts to the season for both of those teams. Maritimo got only their second point of the season this weekend. They drew at home to Aruca and Passos, as we say, lost to Family Cow in a game where they gave a good showing of themselves. They did get a goal back to equalise through Nigel Thomas, but uh, lost the game ultimately in the end. We were asked on a Q&A pod a few weeks ago whether Maritimo were already condemned to relegation. Barney seems to think yes to both teams. Although it's still only a six-point gap to 16th, so it's not impossible. But uh, with both of those teams, I think it looks terminal. The form that they're in, it looks absolutely dreadful. Um, we saw we saw Maritima go for Joao Henriquez. Uh, there's been no upturn in form. I would not be surprised if he leaves before Christmas. Um, Pastor Ferreira obviously made that big change. Sage Abshoto left. Uh, and they brought in a new manager whose name escapes me, forgive me, but they brought back in a former manager from uh, 15 years or so ago. It, I can't see the form changing for either of those teams. I think Passos have got a better chance of, of turning it around, but for Marie, I would probably at this point say Marie Tomo are, are gone. I thought that new story that came out about Passos potentially being in for Bruno Pinheiro so interesting. And the, and the yes. fact that they, and then suddenly the next day, they hired a manager who, once again, I, I can't remember his name. I, I've got no idea. And particularly an old guard as well, somebody who's been there before, that just screams, screams like, you know, we don't really know. Let's just look to the past and, 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 and try and find stability. I don't think that usually works, particularly nowadays. So yeah, it's it's proper worrying times, Albert. It's Jose Motta, the manager. Apologies, we should uh, show yeah, a bit of the name, <laughs> and that, that's um, poor from us, not him. <laughs> but it's a, it's interesting, Barney. This is for me the second time I think Passos have rushed into making a managerial appointment that I didn't agree with when there were better managers out there on the market. They did it with George Samal when I thought there were better managers on the market, uh, and they've done it and they've done it with Jose Motta when I think there were better managers out there to choose. So we'll have to see. Difficult times for both those clubs. Cannot get points for love nor money. I've got an interesting stat about Pastor de Ferrer, right? Rock bottom of the table. They've got the joint lowest goals of the season. But here's this. They're sixth in the league for possession, overall possession, and they're fifth in the league for pass accuracy. I think that is interesting. I think that, that, that shows hope for me because there are good players in that team. You know, capable players on the ball. Um, they just need to find someone to, to work out the attack. I, I, that, that, that's it for me. But... Um, yeah, I think we need to give Jose Motta a bit more credit than we have done in the last few minutes. And, you know, he could be the man to do it. 
Well, it brings me very nicely, Barney, onto the final section of the podcast. As the listeners know, we like to leave every show with some game recommendations for our listeners to watch. And forget the Clasico, Barney. Forget the Lisbon derby. Forget the Porto derby. The biggest game of the season is coming up this weekend on Friday night as Passos de Ferreira take on Maritimo in a bottom-of-the-table clash for the ages. One of the biggest bottom-of-the-table games <laughs> that we've had in recent years. It's the prime time slot, 8.15pm on Friday night, and I would invite all our listeners to watch that game because someone is going to come out on top, or I suppose it could be nil-nil, which is probably very likely. But that's a fascinating game, Barney. I know I'm laughing a little bit, but that is a fascinating game. I've, yeah, got to watch that. That's going to be fun. <laughs> Pretty, uh, Pretty, uh, like, it could be their first wins of the season. If one of them Absolutely. That's going to be so, like, oh, man. I should have said, I, I was just, I bought a bottle of Queen Ass from um, the Portuguese shop down the road the other day. To, <laughs> and I, I was ready to go on Nino's Instagram Live to sort of show my bottle of oh, Queen Ass. <laughs> <laughs> didn't add me. And uh, but I'm after getting. A, I think it was, it was actually pretty poor. Actually, I'll go back to Superbook. I think, but I'll definitely be getting <laughs> a few for that for that game. I think that's going to be a cracker. <laughs> Absolutely, get the beers and get a takeaway because Friday nights do not get much better than that. We'll be there, um, so we hope to see a few of you joining in watching with that one. Um, if we had to pick a more serious game of the weekend, Barney, looking at this weekend's fixtures, do any of the uh, any of the games this weekend particularly jump out at you? I, I like Casapia Rio Ave. I think that would be an interesting one because I think Rio Ave, the sort of team you might be able to, to. Well, they obviously played each other a couple of times last season, so I reckon that will be quite close. I quite like Monday night hour Victoria mm-hmm. Vamalacau. I think that, that that could be an interesting one. Absolutely, I think that would probably be be my pick as well of all the games fixtures. I think that looks like a a game with two evenly matched teams, two teams that we've shown can provide a bit of drama in recent weeks. So I would definitely recommend that game. Uh, for our listeners well look that's about all we've got time for on this week's show thank you very much for listening um if you enjoyed it you could leave us a little review on apple Podcasts uh, and a star rating if you listen on spotify if you want to contact the show you can find us on twitter at non-ball football and we're always more than happy to get involved in any conversations you guys want to have either by calling on our posts or on dms uh, but it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week yeah see you next week